Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the major spots. You can find us under the Burnt Orange Nation podcast feed. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And my co-host has horses in the back, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, you know, I'm just taking that old town road straight to uh, to podcast Landia. Can't nobody tell me nothing, man. We are, we are getting ready to talk about champions, and I am thoroughly excited. It's been a week, Gerald. It's been quite a week. Um, towers have been, have been oranged, you know, it's, it's, it's a good time to be a Longhorn. It's a great time to be a Longhorn. Kyle did take the old town road, uh, back from new Orleans after he had some travel issues. So that's why we're a day late. And, and a dollar short, I might add, I just want to point out, I, uh, there's no better city to have to spend an extra day to get stuck in than new Orleans, except when. There are literally no flights out for two days. I don't know if that's a Boeing issue or a weather issue, but uh, the planes weren't available, so I had to surprise drive, which isn't a terrible drive. Many of you probably did it for the Sugar Bowl or otherwise, but uh, when you're not expecting the drive and you've already New Orleans for a weekend, it makes makes that drive kind of long. So, uh, But I made it back, and I'm here, and we're recording, and we are going to crush it. We're absolutely going to crush it. Uh, so we've got some NIT wrap-up, our official even though we thought it'd be our last one several weeks ago, our last official time to talk about this 2018-2019 Texas basketball season. Uh, We've got some football updates from spring practice, some injury news, baseball, again, another weird week. Uh, We'll bring it down with downing the 40, and then we'll always close it out with some bang the drum. We are the champions, my friend. Oh, yeah. And Shaka keeps on fighting. Till they force him out of town. So the Texas Longhorns, after a disappointing regular season and a disappointing start to their postseason, a.k.a. losing in the Big 12 tournament and missing out on the NCAA tournament, being one of the first four out, according to a lot of metrics, decided that they wanted to show out in the NIT tournament and officially prove that they're the 69th best team in the country. And they did just that. Nice. Against the Lipscomb Bison, is it Bison's Bison, eighty-one to sixty-six to become the national invitational tournament champions. 
That is right. We're so excited to announce your 2018-2019 National Invitational Tournament champions, the Texas Longhorns. After only winning back-to-back games twice in conference play, Texas rattled off five straight wins, including the last three pretty dominantly to uh, to take this home. Dylan O had his best run of his entire career. I'll go ahead and say it and mm. capped it off with another dominating performance against the Bison. 19 points, 11 rebounds, and just to keep it froggy, five assists and three steals with no turnover. Snoop ended his career on a high note as well after a bittersweet end to his final regular season. 16 points, 9 assists, which is a career high. 5 boards and 2 steals. They had an opportunity. Both seniors were given a curtain call with a minute left to play. Fans got to cheer them off the court and they were both renamed NIT All-Tournament Team with Roach Snoop, surprisingly actually, uh, named (laughs) the tournament's most outstanding player even though I think Dylan O outplayed him in most if not uh all of the games that they appeared in well i think he i think he had the uh he had him in points per game so if you just took the single metric he was our our top scorer which i i guess will get you the nit mop award he also did the uh that's the nit mop he did the um i imagine they just give you like a golden mop in this tournament i don't know um but you know he had the 360 dunk he's got the he had the highlight reel he he Maybe more than anything, it was just the uh, the redemption story. Dylan O had been a constant, and, and Snoop had, had been soaring at the heights that, gosh, if he would have done that at the end of the year, maybe we would have uh, played a different tournament, but it's fine. Um, we're champions. That's what we're talking about. Other guys who showed out, um, Febris, I mean, 17 points just looked – these are, so those are your two seniors. Everyone after here um, will basically be your. How does this carry into next year? Um, but Matt Coleman um, only one turnover and had eleven point seven assists and four steals. Really love reading all these stat lines. Dylan O three steals, Snoop Roach two steals, uh, Coleman a career high four steals. Uh, I mean, did good defense uh, held teams this whole tournament to. I mean, part of it may have been the the extra long three pointer, but held them to uh, under. Uh, 32% from beyond the arc. Um, just, you know, good, or I believe under 30, good good defense all around. So it could maybe be a formula. Maybe it's one of those things that, you know, Shaka saw something he liked, he unlocked something um, that that will translate. Of course, losing the two seniors and, and potentially losing lottery pick Jackson Haynes um, leaves, you know, next season a little bit up in the air. But just for historical context, after the 1978 NIT win, Texas went on the next season and 1979 and, and had a quite a good year. Um, they didn't win the other tournament, but they had quite a good year finishing number 15 in the the final regular season poll. Uh, went out in the second round of that tournament, but still a, a good year to follow up. So, I mean, I think at this point, anyone would take a, a top 15 finish for the Longhorns next year. Um, so, you know, hopefully they can they can repeat and build on. So. Good things, good way to, to end a season that was up and down. And to end on an up is great because that's what you get to carry through the offseason. Yeah, and that's something that I've been wrestling with over the weekend is would I rather Texas win a somewhat meaningless tournament? Like, you know, it's it's a tournament. It's tournament basketball. And congrats to them. But, you know, yeah. the the gold was, was played elsewhere. But would I rather them close the season on five straight wins to win a tournament or – 
maybe win one and lose a disappointing one in the tournament or get bounced in the first round of the NCAA tournament and, and really be disappointed. Like that's a hard tension for me to manage because it feels like, at least from my perspective, there's some momentum and some things you can carry forward from winning five straight to close the season. So I guess the question is, does this change your feelings on the season and the narrative of the season overall? Um, you know, no, I say no to say that I still feel like this team, I think every metric said they were a tournament team. They weren't a tournament team. They went out in the NIT and showed they were definitely, you know, at least a tournament team who, who deserved to be there. But it's not necessarily important to say that, you know, you were pretty good and, and the metrics liked you, even though your record wasn't great because you lost ones you shouldn't have or you were in so many close games. It's still disappointing because this team could have and should have been a tournament team. I think this was certainly a round of 32 team who, if they got the right matchup, could have been a Sweet 16 team with the level of talent they had, um, you know, what you knew coming into the year. And then you you get a surprise like Jackson Hayes. You have a potential out of, I think, nowhere, really, everyone feels, um, lottery pick that you throw on top of the seniors you have returning, the Kerwin Roach, um, and kind of the the stable of guards. Uh, I, I think when you ask that question, like, like I said, it's – does this change everything? No. Does it change something? Sure. Is is there momentum to be built? I mean, for the the large amount of this team that's coming back next year, you know, do they get to feel like winners all offseason and know that this is a starting point for them and give them a different energy than, you know, if they didn't take this tournament seriously and it was just, man, we sucked last year. That was a terrible year. Maybe we'll be better this year. Yes, I think that gives you a little way that you, 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 you know, puff out your chest a little bit more. But, you know, I would have preferred to go to the tournament win a game there than to win this tournament. That's just me. Um, but I, I, I do think they're, you know, this shouldn't be overlooked. It is still something. Yeah. And I think winning breeds confidence. And I think that's something that, especially a team that is going to be relatively young next year, you're going to have a couple of seniors that are contributors, but a lot of your key role players are going to be sophomores and freshmen. So I think for a team that is, is trying to figure out still, even after winning a tournament, exactly who the players are going to be in the future, I think it's good to see this and find a winning formula. Now, will this win in the Big 12? Maybe not, especially seeing as the run Tech made. They you know, had a shot, a legitimate shot at a national championship. We can talk blown calls aside. The Big 12 is, I would say at this point, or at least in this last season, the best basketball conference in the country. Uh, so... Will this get it done in the Big 12? Maybe. If they can improve, they found the formula. Now let's improve on the formula. Yeah, exactly like you said. And it's a, it's a conference rife with um, with really talented coaches as well. And I think that that kind of uh, ties us into, if, if you don't mind, we'll jump into the uh, the replies of Texas that we have here. Um, Eric, Eric Hyland, things always feel better after a five-game win streak. Uh, while he's not bull market, uh, on Shaka yet, and because of his buyout, I think his job was never seriously in danger. But this was exactly the right note this team needed to take into the offseason. So um, I, I think the, the question he's asking there, um, you know, around the bull market on Shaka, um, do, do you feel like this changes anything where Texas, you know, I think we've we've talked a lot about Shaka and his future and whether this ultimately changed the trajectory of his, of his future. But I mean, let's just have that conversation. Do you think winning that tournament and having a, a banner, I guess, that, to hang in the rafters um, makes a difference for what happens with Shaka in the future? Well, first off, thank you, thank you, Eric, for your response. We uh, we asked that question on Twitter to get it out there uh, to see how how the fans thought. Uh, 
the 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 pitchforks are are not down, but they're not put away. the The torches are not lit, but they're definitely not put down. And mm. I think if Shaka's at that point where if he has a couple of bad games or a couple of things happen weird, a couple of balls go the wrong direction, I think that the pitchforks and torches come right back. And I think everybody's ready to bounce him out of town. Um, I, news flash, and this is going to be the hot take of the day. You can at me at GH Goodrich. Chris Beard is not coming to the University of Texas, at least anytime soon. <laughs> like, I'm sorry to say that. Yeah. I'm absolutely sorry to say that. I would love to see it happen. And I will be the first one to come on the podcast and apologize for saying it. But he's got a good thing going in tech. And I don't think that at this point, Texas is a step back for him, for his, his career trajectory. We all have to be really, really cognizant of what the University of Texas basketball is. And it's a middle-class program at this point, middle of the class. So I don't see Chris Beard leaving Texas Tech after a shot at a natty, going to the, the, the national final for anything other than a blue blood program. I don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he would be the first uh, the first coach or excuse me, the second coach ever that I could find in my research to do that um, and to leave a, a school after taking immediately after taking a program to the final four. And that was, of course, Roy Williams going to North Carolina from Kansas. Again, that's a that is North Carolina. It's it is one of the two or three names that that, you know, forever ring out uh, for every Very Michael few George. steps up from Kansas. Exactly. Yeah. And and I mean, yeah, Kansas is, is a premier job. That's not to, to slight our, our Big 12 brethren. But again, Michael Jordan, James Worthy, legend, 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 you can just rattle them off. Um, obviously, San Antonio Spurs legend Danny Green um, have some things to say about that program. But, you know, so, uh, is is Texas that like, again, is are there double the resources in Austin that, that he would have in Texas Tech? Sure. But, you know, clearly he's been able to do enough there and they get out of his way enough and give him the resources he needs. I mean, Jarrett Culver is a lottery pick guy. I mean, he's he's got the he's getting talent out there. He's able to to run his program and, and, and he's obviously a phenomenal coach. So, I mean, there's no impetus for him to make the leap unless he sees an opportunity um, that, that is a, a clear clear step up uh, again money is money so maybe you know ultimately texas has that and and willing to just back the truck up but i, I really don't you know I, I don't think this is the year that that's happening we'll see if he can keep the kind of cinderella consecutive runs i mean they were picked i think like fourth or fifth in the in the uh in the big 12 um so i mean it's it's not it's not like everyone just assumes that this is sustainable, you know, and that every year they're going to have this level of talent and be able to put it all together. Last year was was a bit of a Cinderella run in itself. I think they, you know, they obviously outperformed that, making it to a national title and and feeling like they were literally, you know, inches uh, away from winning one. Um, so, y- you know, y- you don't leave that. You don't leave and say, well, we, we were a fingertip away from winning a national championship. Well, I'll see you later. You say, okay, can we can we do do you one better? So this is not the year. No, I, I and and if Texas, I don't really think there's any other coach out there. I don't think there's any other coach that is a clear, established step up who is has an opportunity for Texas to a step up from Shaka, who has an opportunity for Texas to actually legitimately get them. Um, so this may not be the year, and probably 
if we're being honest, never was the year regardless of this tournament outcome. So Shaka will be back next year, much to your chagrin. You don't have to put the pitchforks and torches away, uh, but I do think Texas has an opportunity to build on this early in the season. And um, if these players want to play for their coach, if these players want to win for their coach, then this is the time to do it. So come back next year, take your off season seriously and, and start the 2019, 2020 run uh, with, with some energy. So on the football side of things, the program's moving in the right direction, uh, which is kind of where the basketball program wants to head under, under shocker, whoever comes after him. Uh, they got some, some unfortunate news, uh, some sad news. So, um, one of the, one of the top recruits of the 2019 class to Gabriel Floyd, uh, had been missing, had missed most of spring practice already due to what they believed were lingering impacts, uh, from a stinger that he, that he got. And it turned out that the diagnosis is actually much worse. He's been diagnosed with spinal stenosis, which is a narrowing of the spinal column. And, and a lot of times it results in the symptoms are uh, pain in, in your extremities or numbness, depending on where it happens. Um, so this is tough. And, and there are more important things than football. Um, so he's going to set out the 2019 season. And we really hope that uh, when he's reevaluated in January, that treatments go well. Um, and that's that's the all we really want to say about the DeGabriel Floyd piece of it, uh, other than the fact that Jarvis Jones uh, is it's a success story of a guy who was diagnosed with that USC actually would not medically clear him to play. He ended up transferring to Georgia and was a first round NFL draft pick. So there are cases of players um, being able to bounce back from this type of injury, from this type of condition. And man, our prayers and, and horns up for DeGabriel through his rehab process. Yeah, and I mean, neither you or I, Gerald, or doctors, we have much more uh, accredited folks who listen to this podcast. Shouts to Dr. Joe Ruiz, Dr. Rob Settleheimer, and other doctors. I'm sure there's a lot of you out there. Tweet us. Tweet at us. If you're a doctor and you listen to this pod, you have any medical advice, tweet at us. We want to know. Um, but uh, we aren't experts in this field. But, uh, you know, just to reiterate what you said, I, I do think um, when, when these serious type of injuries come up um, at any time, there is always a football component to it, but I hope that all our listeners know us well enough and long enough and feel the same way. Hopefully that we do that. That is utterly secondary to the, the wellness aspect of this. And we, we put the horns up and the prayers up for, for uh, any, any player associated with the Longhorns who goes through or anyone associated with the Longhorns who goes through, uh, goes through any of these uh, life, potentially life changing or life altering injuries. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. For sure. So we do have to talk about the football angle a little bit, unfortunately. So without DeGabriel Floyd playing, who was supposed to push for that, that middle linebacker position, uh, Texas now is just too deep at the middle and rover spot. So basically their middle and their kind of weak side linebacker with uh, Delia Deoe and Jeffrey McCullough playing those two spots with Marcus Tillman and Caleb Johnson, who hopefully would have had a, a longer on-ramp, but will 
be called upon in a rotation next year. You've got Osai and Vaughns who are playing the number one and number two spots for the B-backer, which is that kind of hybrid defensive end outside linebacker spot in the 3-3-5 scheme. So linebacker we knew was going to be a position of concern, especially uh, with the, with it was even going to be thin with Floyd and now Floyd being out. So what does what does Texas do here at a position that in the last two years have been their top two of their top three tacklers? You know, I, maybe this is burn orange colored glasses, but I do feel like this is one of Todd Orlando's strengths. You know, his uh, ability to adapt to his package to his players and to make the package fit that, and his ability to not necessarily be. I don't want to call him system agnostic because he certainly has a system, but he can flex. I mean, you saw basically the midseason adjustment against Iowa State that really turned things around and changed things uh, last year. You know, that's uh, to, to be able to do that in, in midseason, I think, you know, shows that he's a guy who can who can roll with the punches. And because we're so deep, especially in defensive backfield, I mean, there's one guy who stands out in, in DeMarvian Overshone who I think is a get him on the field guy. Safety, sure. Uh, you know, come in linebacker where he was listed last year and really got some reps there. Sure. You know, emergency goal line cornerback. Why not? Like what, you know, he's just a player and there's a lot of players in that secondary uh, who have some size who, you know, could potentially um, be kind of a tweener between those positions. And, And again, with Orlando's scheme, you have a lot of guys who, you know, play tweener positions by design because it's not, we don't play a game, you know, like it, like the nineties anymore where you're four, three and you, this is your assignment and this is all you do. And that's it. You know, in a, in a game, you look at a Malcolm Roach in years past, you may line up in six different positions on the field, you know, hand down, standing up flip sides, you know, inside blitzes, like there, there is flexibility by design. And so maybe, you know, that, having that built into your system absorbs us, but it is still, I mean, I, I don't, don't mishear me and say that I don't have any consternation about this. I mean, this is the place that uh, I think we'll be watching, but I mean, last year at the beginning of the season, we were watching linebackers and saying, can Gary Johnson step in, you know, is he going to be the guy people have been really raving about Caleb Johnson, another um, no relation, but another grad transfer who's, who's come in and, and looks really, really good and is getting some praise from the coaches. I mean, there are there are players here, the guys that are here, even though we don't have nine of them, um, you know, the guys that are here, we do have some talent there. So I, I think, you know, it, it's it's not terrible, but we're going to need people to step up and we're going to need people to be healthy. And, and some of that is is luck, you know, and some of it is just taking care of yourself. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going to need all those things to break our way if we want to have the type of season that I think this team is capable of having. Yeah. And, and I think there's another guy. David Benda is another player that could potentially fill that spot. Uh, The number 11 uh, player in the state of Texas, I believe my numbers are probably wrong there, Um, but he's a four-star guy. Uh, He's a player that he's going to obviously have an on-ramp being a true freshman coming in and, um, you know, coming in 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 the fall and really having to it was a number 24 player in the state of Texas, number 11 linebacker, excuse me. Um, but he's, he's an inside linebacker that could contribute. He's got good size. He's got good speed. So he's a guy that I think um, if called upon, I would obviously love to see him redshirt. I'm, I'm a, I'm a big proponent in at redshirt every freshman uh, that you possibly can just because 18 and 22 are two very different sizes of people. Um, but David Bend is a guy who, I don't think if, if you need a rotational guy, I think he could possibly be that guy. I mean, he ended up 
being one of the one of the top linebackers in the in the country, one of the top players in the state of Texas. I mean, being the number twenty five player in the state of Texas, number one hundred and sixty five in the country, like the guy can ball. And and again, I would rather not see him on the field his freshman year. I think the the too deep for Texas is good enough. I think those four guys are good enough, and injuries are what worries me because the injury bug hit Texas really hard last year in the middle of the season. That's honestly, I'm going to say it. The reason why Texas lost to West Virginia, because they're missing, I believe it was three defensive starters, four defensive starters by the end of that game. Uh, So will Greer shut up. Uh, (laughs) So there's, that's what worries me. And I think that also takes us to the, the running back spot. So good news out of the running back spot. Um, Jordan Winnington and Keontae Ingram were named the offensive MVPs of the final, I guess not final, but final not orange and white game uh, scrimmage of the season. Uh, and so there are two questions that you ask here. One, is it a good sign for the for Texas that the running backs are doing well, or is it a bad sign? It's a good sign for the offense or a bad sign for the defense that the running backs had such a good Saturday? Um, and are you still worried about depth at the running back spot? Well, I mean, in years past, it has been flipped. It has been that our offense struggled and our defense looked good. And we asked this question in the inverse, you know, um, well, how good is our defense? They must be phenomenal. Um, you know, I, I think. Which was true the last two years. <laughs> there you go. Um, I, I do certainly think that um, it's a good sign because we we put a lot on this offense. And, and last year, you know, Texas was the rare Big 12 team that could win by the, 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 you know, frog's hair thin of, of margins, but could win while not, you know, just scoring 50 points every game and putting up 500 yards every game. You know, they, uh, I think they were the only power five team in, in the country in any conference who didn't have um, an offensive play greater than 50 yards last year. So, I mean, it's, it's a, um, it, it's an offense that, um, an offense that I think, is going to carry the team. I think the the other piece of it, of course, is a lot of the injuries that I mean that you're seeing. Of course, we have some guys held out on the offensive side of the ball as well. But when you have you know a majority of your starts that are supposed to come back on an already young defense and your you know safety position with with Jones and, and Caden Stearns um, sitting out, I mean they're gonna be they're gonna be young and 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 skewing younger via injuries. So I mean I think there's there's some caveats. But to go back to where I think we really want to talk about this is that, yeah, I feel better. I feel better knowing when, 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 you know, the unfortunate news with Darian Brown and we kind of said, well, he was the freshman who was in the running back. And we said, can Whittington do it? And we've talked many times on this podcast, can Whittington be a running back? I think that question is no longer a question it has been answered. Um, what type of, of weapon will he be? Is he getting the ball, you know, straight up? Are they, they hitting him on flare screens? Are they, are they, motioning him out to to mess with you know linebackers are they running two uh two running back packages which we didn't really see last year um you know it creates a whole lot more opportunities and i think um i think it's a great thing i think i am certainly less concerned knowing that you have two guys who you feel very very confident in the spring um he's not a guy who needs a summer to get more yoked but he's also 18 years old and a true freshman and looks like an NFL player, but you know, he is going to get a year with the NC McKnight and that's nothing but frightening for big 12 defenses. He's going to be even bigger. And then freshman year to sophomore year, even though we're talking about Whittington being ready to do it like Ingram was last year, 
that's a big leap for running backs. That might be the biggest of, of your time in, in college is between your freshman and sophomore year. So Keontae Ingram ready to make the leap showing um, in the highlight clips that they've released and that people have talked about just incredible balance, the ability to take a hit um, and just stay on his feet and kind of, kind of stay up, finish the run for touchdowns. Um, it's fantastic. I mean, Keontae Ingram's taking the step up to be the workhorse to be, you know, the home run threat to be the, the, you know, what we all assume will be the hybrid of Cedric Benson, Jamal Charles, um, in NFL priest Holmes. Um, you know, obviously, uh, we'll take that, you know, that's, <laughs> I'm not putting all that pressure on his shoulders. We'll take a big step up from Keontae. So I still feel, I still feel like I want a healthy third option. And if that's Kirk Johnson, or if that's, um, if that's anyone else, you know, right now that's kind of the, it's a two man unit, but Kirk is right. There's the third guy. Um, I like having bodies, but I think it's a two man race. And, and again, make sure injuries don't come to either of those two. And I think we're in a good spot. Yeah. And I think you mentioned a couple of things there. One um, there's talk of two running back sets, having both running backs in the backfield and then motioning Whittington out of the backfield to the slot, which Seems like some fun gamesmanship. You get a defense in kind of their their run look. You have a linebacker covering up Whittington, and then you put Whittington out in the slot and have a linebacker try to chase him down. That seems like a matchup nightmare waiting to happen. And I think the the offensive staff is really high on Keontae Ingram's growth. Tim Beck said it in in media availability today um, about Keontae, Keontae Ingram breaking tackles on – uh, power plays like power run designed to get four or five yards mm-hmm. and he's breaking tackles and going for going for a score. And that's not what we saw from him last year. He was kind of a first cut first hit and I go down. Now he had some incredible runs and that's not to diminish what he did last year, but he, most of his yardage was because he was able to make cuts and find the right creases and not break tackles. And so that's going to be interesting to see. And the fact that, Todd Orlando is talking about how high he is on Jordan Whittington mm-hmm. when you caught the eye of the defensive coordinator. Um, that's a good thing, at least in my book. Hopefully it doesn't mean that he's paying too much attention to the offense. But I guess now we'll ask the question, the spring game, the Texas Orange and yeah. White game, is this Saturday under the lights? So, like, what positions are you watching closely and what, what are you specifically hoping to see from uh, Texas in the spring game? I'm really curious how the, the depth chart is going to stack out at food trucks on Bevo Boulevard outside. Um, no, I'm kidding. I, I'm going to the game. I've never, I've, uh, I've never been for a home game in the CDC era. If you can believe that I went to multiple, not home games, but um, so I'm excited to go to my first, uh, even though it's not a true game, but, uh, but to see Bevo Boulevard and obviously ludicrous afterwards, but to get back to the point, um, I, I, I mean, I, I, I think, Again, talking about steps up, obviously we know who QB1 is for the first time, like unequivocally, probably since David Ash. Um, We came into a season knowing the guy who was the guy last year um, is still the guy for the first time in a long time. So there is a comfort there and there is, you know, looking for him to to make that next step, to not just do it on sheer will, but to be doing those now, now, you know, junior quarterback level things where he's you know, making the smart decisions where he understands the game well enough that he's making the defense do what he wants so that he can get what he wants and not taking what they give him. So those types of things will be great. But I mean, at the same time, when you know who QB1 is, 
you always want to know who QB2 is and how good he is just in case. We we had that in spades with, with Bouchelle last year. So I'm really watching how Casey Thompson comes in and runs the offense. Um, you know, we, we had him running with Sam out with, with some, you know, sore throats and stuff. We had him running the first offense, and, and that's great. Get him those reps. Get Roshan in there. Get all the quarterbacks blooded really, you know, as thoroughly as you can. I'm excited to see how they look. So on the offensive side of the ball, I'm probably, you know, looking at looking at quarterback. Um, there's an abundance of riches at, at receiver. So, it, you know, who steps up? Really, just out of that group, who's the one who shines? Because it could be any of like four or five different guys, um, which is exciting. Um, and, and then truly, you know, obviously we talked about the linebackers. That's a position. But for me, I always defer when I watch the defense. I watch defensive backs. I was the weird guy on NCAA football or Madden who would play as the safety, um, you know, and good luck trying to beat me over the top. If you if you, if you want to try those, you know, catch me on NCAA 14 um, and also catch these hands. But no, um, I'm watching the secondary, too, because, again, kind of like our receivers, who's going to rise up there are like seven seven deep of just you know stars or potential future stars who's going to come in you know I, I feel like um even with guys switching positions um we had uh jameson switching from receiver to cornerback and they're saying all of a sudden he might be the best quarterback in the spring on that field you know yeah, how, how good is he going to look in that position is, is he really um you know showing out as much as people are saying with our young safeties in there with overshown just getting the field you know yeah Jalen Green, I, there's some there's some guys cook. There's some guys I really really want to see in that secondary. So I may have said too many, but I'll be watching multiples of positions. Yeah, I think for me the the position of note offensively is just what this offensive line going to look like. We know that uh, Parker Braun is still going to uh, is still left to be seen, but what is that offensive line going to look like? Because there's a, there is a lot of young talent on the offensive line. I mean, we know Cosme is going to be the guy on the left side. Um, we know that Shackelford's going to be at center and everything else is, is uh, at least in my estimation, more fluid. Uh, you know, according to the football brainiacs, you've got Imade at left guard. You've got Kerstetter at right guard and Okafor at right tackle for the first team. But for me, like, again, I, I for me, it starts and, and ends in the trenches. So, when Texas tries to run the, the power option or the, the spread power, whatever it may be, the zone read, uh, it, it really comes down to blocking. And Texas was doing some really interesting things, pulling guards and tackles uh, toward the end of the season last year. So they had experienced guys like Vahe and they had Calvin Anderson who had a lot of reps in the trenches. So what is that offensive unit going to look like? Uh, I think I'm really excited to see Malcolm Epps. Mm-hmm. That's a guy specifically that I'm like, I just want to see what this guy does. Oh, yeah. Like, he is a basketball guy, which excites me because I love basketball guys playing wide receiver. He hasn't moved inside to tight end, which is what a lot of people expected to happen with him. So that's Malcolm Epps' guy I'm really excited to watch. But I think for me, who are who's going to be your D tackle mm-hmm. and who are going to be your DNs? Because that those positions, I think, with all of the turnover and all the turmoil and really – Maybe just the D tackle more than anything, specifically because of how pivotal that position has been in the last two years with with uh, Puna and uh, and our boy Chris Nelson. So, like, is it going to be, um, you know, is it going to be Wilbon? Is it going to be um, our boy Keandre Coburn? Like, who's going to be the guy? holding down the center. And again, in, in availability today, they basically said if there were 80 plays in a game, each of those guys would get about 30 or 35 of them. So like 
who's going to be the guy in the middle of the defense. Cause that's so important, especially as Texas looks to figure out like who's going to be its linebackers and who are going to be the corners. Like as Texas does that, like you have experienced, talented guys in the middle of that defense. So I'm really, really interested to see what that group shakes out to be. Yeah, that's a really good point. We, I mean, whoever it is, we need to come up with our own version of a, a, a nickname for him. We had Bellinelli, or uh, I believe the, the Spanish radio announcers had a name for him that was like El Sangre Monstro or something. He was just a fantastic nickname. So we need something for, for Coburn if that does become him, because obviously Puna is your is your all-time catchphrase. But um, but yeah, I, I'll be looking at the beat. But it is funny that you I deferred to the, the Air Force and you deferred to the uh, the trench warfare, and uh, that that's on brand for both of us. So I, I, I respect the heck out of that. Stay on brand. Very on brand. Quickly, uh, some Longhorns in the professional realm. Uh, Holton Hill will miss the first four games of next season for violating the NFL's performance-enhancing drug policy. And the AAF unfortunately folded. A lot of guys were getting their opportunity to strap it back up again. But a couple of Longhorns made their got the opportunity to end up back in the NFL. So Duke Thomas signed a, uh, a contract with the Vikings and um, Super Bowl winning Garrett Gilbert <laughs> is officially a Cleveland Brown. So oh, yeah. that's cool. They've got that going for him, which is nice. I mean, two of the best players in the AAF, truly. I mean, Duke Thomas led uh, the the San Antonio uh, Commanders with 22 tackles at an interception, a fumble recovery, just made big plays. Um, You know, he kind of is filling the whole nail void for four games, potentially. Um, So good on you. But but to talk a moment for Garrett Gilbert, that league is done. It's gone. It's never going to come back. No one's going to come and break his records. Garrett Gilbert retires from the AAF as the all-time leader in passing. So as Texas is the National Invitational Tournament champions, they're also the all-time AAF passing leaders. Um, I think he was the MVP. I think they had uh, votes as well uh, of that league. He truly was probably the best player. Um, I hope that the Browns also hire Steve Spurrier just to be the quarterback coach and also for, you know, watchability purposes. But uh, Garrett Gilbert is not like a not like a, a punchline, you know, anymore after he showed out here. I don't think he's going to push Baker for the starting role, but he might just very well be their number two guy. Um, so, you know, good, good on you. Um, guys had a couple rough, rough uh, goes of it. Again, he's a Super Bowl champion. Boohoo. Uh, but, you know, get another chance. Um, and I'm sure we'll see some more of the Longhorns uh, as, as more folks make, you know, at least practice rosters and everything out of the um, AAF fold. So um, congrats to the guys who made it and, and, and to the future ones who will as well. So baseball, something happened midweek. I don't know. There was a thing. Um, and then Texas went to Waco and I'm just going to say it, have the most ridiculous split series of all time. So no. Texas lost the Friday matchup 6-5. They led 4 nothing, gave up that lead. Uh, won on Saturday 8-6. to Were en route to run ruling Baylor. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. <laughs> they were up 6 nothing in the second inning when the game was canceled due to rain. So Texas splits that series one-to-one, even though they would have continued to put the boots to Baylor. Frustrating. Blame it on the rain. Sorry, go on. No, frustrating is the only way I can describe this last week of baseball. Yeah. Frustrating feels like the right word. 
uh, as I've said here, midweek games are dumb. They're stupid. They shouldn't count. They're basically preseason games that happen during the season. No one puts any credence uh, into those. I'm I'm pretty um, sure of it. We won't say anything about the team from High School Station, other than to say that since um, since they left the Big Twelve um, on their own accord, of course they you know were seeking greater opportunity. It has nothing to do with us, but um, since they've left, we've played. Uh, a few times, um, and literally as it's gone, in every other game, the other team has won. They have no team has won consecutive games in baseball. Uh, they played three times in 2014 and went Texas, then AM, then Texas. Um, in 2016, they played AM, won. 2017, they played Texas, won. 2018, they played twice. AM won the first, Texas won the second. 2019, they played. Just this is a and AM one. So that just means whenever we play them again, we're going to win. So I'm not particularly worried about that one. That's really a non-starter. Um, but, you know, the, the Baylor series is a little interesting because um, the narrative we've been pitching all year is like, look, we have two aces out of the, you know, at the top of the rotation. They're going to weekend series. There are guys we don't have to worry about it. It's that third pitcher. Who's that going to be? It's our bullpen. How is that going to work? Um, but this one didn't really follow the the script. Um, you know, in, in the in the Friday uh, loss, Texas got out to a four nothing lead. Then Baylor got four in the third. Um, Bryce Elder went six in the third and gave up five. Um, you know, Cole Quintanilla, who really has been our consistent guy out of the goal, out of the bullpen, comes in with one on, gives up back to back walks to load the bases. Uh, two two count, bases loaded, one out, gives up the walk off single to the Baylor Bears. So just to give them a bit of credit and give Texas a, a little bit of context. Baylor had won eight of their last nine. They were one of the hottest teams in the country. They'd just gotten back. They were preseason number 15, but they'd fallen out. Had just gotten back into Baseball America's top 25. So uh, they were a hot team, but Texas really could have and maybe should have won all three of these games, but at least the two that were played. On Saturday, there was the three-hour lightning delay, and then it was kind of vice versa, where Baylor got a lead 3-0 in the first, built it to 5-0 in the fifth. And this is, again, with uh, Blair Henley, who uh, gave up seven hits and five runs in five innings. So neither of our starters really had their best stuff, but Texas scored eight unanswered to win eight to six. Um, I agree with you, though. This shouldn't be a series split. This should be a series win, which also hurts because Texas needs conference wins and Texas needs road wins. Right now they they still are, are working to improve that, that road record, and another win on there would have just made you feel a little better. But – Alas, they uh, they got a tie with, again, one of the top three or four teams in the Big 12. I've already beat TCU. They have Oklahoma and Oklahoma State really remaining, and I think they should beat uh, both of those teams. They they also, like I said, Tech. Um, so they, they've, they've really gotten through the meat of the, the dangerous Big 12. Um, this was probably their toughest test left. So we'll see um, how the rest of the conference turns out. But, uh, yeah, would have loved to get a serious win there. It frustrates me that this was against Baylor as well. Like that's just <laughs> that's my own personal issues. Uh, I'll just set those aside for now. So yeah, I think the it's always tough for me to see the bats show up and, and the pitching suffer because that's been the opposite situation yeah. for a lot of the season. So I, I just it's tough for me to figure out what to make of it. And maybe there's nothing to make of it, and I'm trying to write a narrative for something that doesn't really even exist, but. That's neither here nor there. So Texas back in action uh, right now, as of the time of recording, mm-hmm. uh, taking on Rice, and then they will have a three-game home series against Kansas State. So hopefully they can string together a couple of wins and improve on their winning ways. So that brings us to everybody's favorite part, 
of the show. Not quite yet. We're going to down the 40. So we're going to take you through <laughs> all of the non-big time sports. The, the sports that the athletes are big time, the results are big time, but maybe they don't get as much attention from the rest of the world as they should. So with that, downing the 40, number 11 softball, the other team on the diamond, take the series win over the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Mm-mm, feel so good to say that. <laughs> Two to one. I'm just I'm just going to turn it over to you, Kyle, because you are our resident softball expert. So what do you what do you have to say about how the ladies fared against the Red Raiders? Uh, very, very well, especially when Miranda Elish was on the mound. She was the, I believe it was just came out, the Big 12 Pitcher of the Week, which is not a surprise. Um, she threw her sixth and seventh complete game shutouts of the season. That's right. She had two two games, uh, went um, perfect, or not perfect, excuse me, shut them out completely. I think she gave up like seven hits over two games um, and 14 innings. So so very, very good stuff coming, coming in there. Um, they, they had a tough one. They did lose you know, the one game on, on, on a walk-off, which is a, a bad trend when your men's and women's uh, teams are, are losing on walk-offs to, to conference foes. It's tough. Um, but, uh, you know, they still, they still looked good. They, they did what they needed to do and got the series win against, a, a, again, probably the toughest team that's left or that was in the Big 12 that, that's their biggest uh, threat to, to them taking home the conference. Although they are weirdly third uh, in the conference, but that's just because they've played all the toughest teams at the front. They should probably start walking through the rest of the conference with what they have left on the schedule, maybe even a couple more run rules to add to my total um, in there. So uh, I think the ladies are off uh, this weekend, if I remember correctly, and don't have a game until midweek next week. But uh, yeah, Miranda Elish. Keep freaking firing them in there. I love the softball team. So the newly minted for the first time in school history, number one in the nation as of like 30 minutes ago at the time of recording. Men's breaking, breaking, team, breaking, breaking news. Sorry. It won't, it won't be breaking by the time most of you listen to this, <laughs> but that's fine. Uh, number one men's tennis beats number 10 TCU on the road, 6-1. to one. They swept all six singles matches to win their fifth top 10 match of the season. Yeah, and I mean, it's 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 pretty incredible. There's two guys who are, I mean, the whole team is showing out. As you said, six six wins is great. But there's two guys who are really standing out, both, I believe, now in the top six in ITA rankings, um, Ito and Christian uh, Sigsgard, who actually was named the co-Big 12 Player of the Week, taking it away from Ito, who um, Justin Ito was a back-to-back Big 12 Player of the Week. Um, now we get six guard so that's three weeks in a row um but yeah texas rightfully up there i mean they they have like i said two top top six uh players in the singles they have the number two or number three ranked uh doubles team i mean they are they are a legitimate force and a legitimate potential to win the uh win it all win the national championship this year if they keep on their 19 and two so far and uh not not many uh tournaments before big 12 play and and, and nationals um coming up so uh in good form at the right time yeah, uh, the tennis team, especially with the adversity that they have gone through this year, we'll just leave it at that. Yep. Um, they're, they're, the success that they found is incredible. So, number seven, women's tennis. Beat Tech. Mm-mm, feels so good. 6-1. <laughs> uh, Texas won five of their six singles matches. Uh, the lone senior on Texas' senior night, uh, Katie Palata, Pal- Paluta. Uh, one in straight set, six one six one, and in a stunning turn of events, 
Anna Tarati, not her sister Bianca, actually unseated her sister. Bianca had won back-to-back Big 12 Player of the Week from the ladies' side. Anna took home the prize for the week of April 9th, unseating her sister. And that's going to be an awkward dinner conversation uh, over the weekend, if I do say so myself. I mean, it's basically the Clegane Bowl of women's tennis. So uh, I had to get a Game of Thrones reference in there. Uh, keep my streak. I think it's at like seven episodes running. But awesome for the Taratis. How do you beat a Tarati only with another Tarati? <laughs> that's that's going to be our Twitter bio moving forward. <laughs> uh, so uh, number 11 track uh, on the men's side took third place at the Reveille Invitational because, of course, the track meet at Texas A&M is called the Reveille Invitational. Uh, they finished behind Tech and Texas A&M, which makes me just have that throw-up taste in the back of my mouth saying it, which I don't I don't know what to say about that other than I mean, I, those, I hate those two schools. It's weird. Tex, I, I'm going to give them a little credit here. I'm going off script. Texas Tech is having a bit of a moment right now. Um, besides being, you know, n- not able to keep their handsome football coach, they're doing other things very very well obviously you saw their basketball team their baseball team is good uh golf team's pretty good um i don't think they're having necessarily a better moment than del conte and the longhorns because we're gonna read there's a lot of really low numbers next to all the names of these programs but they're having themselves a moment they're currently number one uh in men's track in uh, year number two but four out of seven teams in, in in this competition were ranked in the top 15 so to take third um is pretty good for number 11 men's track uh, number 11 women's track took second at the same dog track meet. Uh, <laughs> and I don't like, I don't know what else to say. Like I'm trying not to be that, that rude about it, but no, I, I like it. Cause I very much picture it's like the greyhounds. It's like, you know, going to bet on the greyhounds when you say dog track meet. So that's exactly how I now think of the Supreme Lord commander, Miss Reveille invitational. Uh, so number seven men's golf finished third at the Augusta Haskins award invitational, uh, Chernovi, Cole hammer, uh, Appear the the Cody brothers. I'm just going to mm-hmm. say it. Mm-hmm. Both finished in the top ten on the women's side. Number two women's golf. Um, this is really cool. So at the inaugural uh, Augusta National Women's Amateur, Caitlin Papp, uh, who we've talked about quite a bit during the the Downing the Forty segment, uh, tied for fifth, one under at Augusta National, which which is pretty impressive in and of itself. Um, and without their three best players, the team overall, the missing, you know, Pap, uh, Lasney and Emily Hoffman, uh, they finished in the top seven at the Bruzzy challenge, uh, which that golf team is real, real good. Yeah. Freshman Haley Cooper finished for, uh, tied for first individually. So, you know, even when three of your best start in the tournament, they had the, uh, they had the overall winner, which is great. Um, big 12 championships are, are coming up. They return to action, I believe next week for the big 12s in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but that's all, that's all fantastic. But I, if, if I can have a little space, can I clear out a little bit here? Do it. Yeah, you're good. All right. Didn't go deep on softball this week. So I'm choosing keep it in women's sports, but I'm going to go into women's golf. So, you're right, Gerald. It is a big deal. Caitlin Papp, I'm so glad she got to be a part of something historic, something incredible, something, honestly, if, I, if I'm if i going to just go ahead and say it, it took too long to happen. So if you watched any of this, um, it, it was very cool that it happened. It was, it was They played the first two days at a nearby course, and they played the final once the cut was made uh, at Augusta. So, so these were the first women to ever play a competitive round of golf at Augusta. 
you know, I, I want to give credit where it's due because this is a new chairman. He came in. One of his first initiatives was to do this. And it's great. It's fantastic. It just could have happened 20 years ago. It could have happened 30 years ago. We shouldn't be congratulating for doing the things that on a human level, you know, should should happen, which is offering opportunity to anyone, no matter, you know, how they look, how they're born, what race, what gender, whatever. Um, not to get on a soapbox. But again, this is this is incredible. Watching this was awesome. Watching Caitlin Papp and a Longhorn be there the same way I felt watching Doug Gim be the low amateur for the men, you know, last year. But watching this just felt more historic. And, you know, as, as someone who loves golf and watched it with his dad and has a has a tie to it and really, you know, internally just loves this. It was exciting to see. Here's what I here's what my hope is to leave it on a positive note that um, in the future, this grows. Maybe they have a, a professional women's event, an LPGA event that takes place here. Maybe they truly take this barrier and they don't just pay it lip service and, and say it's torn down, but they actually uh, mean it and, and, and allow um, the access to this. So not to I'll get off the soapbox now, um, but very, very cool. Congrats, Caitlin. Prepare to get right back on. That brings us to. <laughs> The part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on other than Augusta National this week? As you mentioned, as we we down the 40, um, we like to give airtime, very precious airtime to all our millions of listeners. To the sports that, you know, don't necessarily get them. Like, you know, the, the big revenue generating sports, obviously, are baseball, football, and basketball. And of those three, baseball has a number next to their name. Football now has a number next to their name because we're back on track, baby. Um, but, you know, uh, there are numbers, real low numbers, as I, as I alluded. 11, 1, 7, 11, 11, 7, 2, uh, there are really four rowing. Uh, there are really low numbers with all of our programs around the 40 acres. We are a fantastic athletics program, but there is one that we don't ever talk about. And so this weekend, Gerald, there are uh, the the a sport that just is for far too long has been a powerhouse sport for UT. And I'm not talking swimming or diving. Those have already happened. We know what happened there. But a powerhouse sport that UT has dominated that doesn't get the respect, the airtime, the consideration that it deserves. Yeah, that's right. Listeners, fill it in for me. You're saying it out loud right now. The anticipation isn't even killing you because you know I am talking about the powerhouse Dynamo Texas Quidditch program. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about back-to-back-to-back 2013, 14, and 15 national championship winning Light the Tower Orange University of Texas Quidditch team. Now, this weekend is the Texas or excuse me, is the U.S. Quidditch Cup. And there is a little bit of home uh, field advantage. The the Southwest Regional um, will be played here in Round Rock, Texas. Texas has a pretty good bracket. They're matching up with Brandeis, um, which uh, is, a, is a school, apparently. Um, and they, they, they come in as the number two seed, which is tough, tough to swallow. There was a, a poll, obviously, on eighth man. We all know what that is, but if for whatever reason you don't, the, the premier um, culture... Uh, blog for for Quidditch uh, that ranked the all-time March Madness bracket style programs. Uh, Maryland versus Texas being the one seeds made it all the way. Um, Texas uh, beating Minnesota, Arizona State, UCLA, and Emerson en route to the final. You can vote on that at eighthman.com slash best-college-program-bracket. Uh, voting seems to still be open. But this is a legendary program, folks. If you're in the Round Rock area, if you can make it, to the Round Rock area. Get out there. Show our seekers and, and bangers and riders 
and Potters and and Gryffindors and and Ravenclaws. Go show them some support. They have to get a snitch through a hoop, I think. And it's it's um there's a there's a broom and a, a stick and a, and you there's things like that. Um, so so go and and you cheer and you say good good snitching good seeking. You crushed the the um the the thing. You did it. Just just shout and make noise and wear born, burn orange. And they'll be so happy to see you. So it's about time. I'm happy to shine my light. Go Texas Quidditch. Brandeis University is a private research university in Waltham, Massachusetts, nine miles west of Boston. That's the old. I don't know what to like. I don't know how to follow that. Um, yeah, go support. I'm, I'm sure it's free to go watch. So go check them out. I think they're playing summertime around midday on Saturday and up in Round Rock. So definitely go check it out. Uh, so my bang the drum uh, this week, it's kind of something that I'm, I'm a, I've been doing periodically. Um, Darian Brown had some updates. Actually, Tom Herman spoke about it. Uh, he had another surgery this last week, um, which this is insane that medicine is here and you can do this, that they put back the piece of the skull, his skull that they removed um, to alleviate the pressure that, that his medical um, condition had created. And they're actually currently trying to get him medically cleared to travel to Austin for the spring game. And in much of the same way um, that I actually wept when, um, when Andrew Jones made it back onto the court uh, and kind of yammed on folks, that was an incredible moment. Like seeing Darian Brown, uh, who was supposed to be one of these guys is getting ready to come in and participate in fall practice, uh, able to be there for the spring game and be a part of it. Um, that's going to be a special moment to see. And, you know, there are things bigger than football. And one of those things is 18 year olds getting to chase their dreams. And I think it's cool. Tom Herman said, in this conversation that he's hopeful that Darian Brown will get to play football again. And there are things bigger than football. Like I said, and one of those things to me is people chasing their dreams. And, and the fact that he has potentially an opportunity to continue to chase his dream is just something that's really special to me. And that's something that I'll continue to watch really closely uh, until he laces it up at wherever he does. And I will be cheering loudly when that happens. Yeah, uh, yours is, is a significantly more serious uh, issue, and I equally have nothing to add other than yeah, let's uh, let's let's cheer for this kid if if he uh, if he is able to make it out to the uh, to the spring game, um, and and you see him there, or they 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 announce that he's there. Let's let's save the the loudest cheer of the day for for Darian who uh, who embodies the spirit of the the Texas Longhorns. Fight, fight, fight! So. Um, we're all thinking of you rooting for you, Darian. So uh, horns up for him. That's all we've got for you this week. Uh, Kyle, where can people send their angry tweets to you? <sighs> for all of you uh, Quidditch fiends out there, hit me up on uh, my Twitter. That's at Kyle Carpenter. Um, for all of your your, your uh, women's golf um, replies, you can find me at GH Goodrich. No, you can find me at Kyle Carpenter. Um, you can also, I haven't plugged him in a while, the Texas pregamer. Uh, now that we have some football, real kind of football this week, maybe the pregamer will, will come back to life. But uh, yeah, find me on Twitter. Real-ish football. You can find me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can choose an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them, golden snitches.